Hey, this is JJ Arcega Whiteside of the Philadelphia Eagles, and you're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey, we're rolling, we're rolling. We fly all day. All day. Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5, scooting in for the score. Touchdown. Yeah. Yes, welcome in everyone to the Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast. I want to thank you all for joining us. I hope you're doing very well. Today's podcast is all about the salary cap. We're going to be talking about what is the salary cap and what are the inner workings of the final details you know, buried in those player contracts. Uh, and we're also going to find out what teams are salary cap smart, salary cap dumb, and the reasons for that. We're also going to talk a bit about player salaries depending on position. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about some the rookie contract scale that's recently come in to the NFL over the last uh, almost nearly a decade now, I suppose. Um, but uh, we have two people inside today's NFL huddle. First up, we have a Mr. Retro himself, Mr. Lawrence Voss. Lawrence, how are you doing, buddy? Fantastic. I got my 1980 franchise off to a start with a with a 44-28 victory versus my online opponent sitting somewhere in Kansas. So. Um, <laughs> All, all hail to Ron Jaworski and Art Monk hooking up for the touchdown. Um, so very happy with that. Lovely. So how much, how much you talk, considering this um, this podcast is all about salary cap? Are you pay are you, how much are you paying them salary wise? Oh, I'm I'm, I'm looking after them. I tell You're you, looking you, after there, them. There are no complaints. There no are big... no complaints. They get at least one king size payday every two weeks. No, lovely stuff. So they'll be <laughs> fine. So they they'll be fine after they retire. Then put it that way. That's it. That's it. Okay, joining us, the second man in the huddle uh, joining us is um, Zach, joining us from Stateside, someone who's v- well-versed in the salary cap, um, well, I at least hope so, because they've written, written a book on it, So, uh, and he's got another one coming out in October, but we're going to give a very British full 10 yards warm welcome to Zach Bohr, the author of Caponomics. Zach, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Uh, happy to have another opportunity to talk salary cap and to just uh, you know discuss this this field of uh my you know my my research and give people a little bit more of an idea of just the full picture which uh you know judging by what you're going to ask me about today i think we'll get we'll do a really good job of doing that yeah, I hope so. And I say, just uh, the reason the reason I thought of kind of doing a podcast like this is, you know, social media, Twitter, and and, and all the other kind of you know articles you might see out there. I I, I feel that the the salary caps kind of nonchalantly thrown about in and in, in in some cases, some people are quite lazy in terms of you know they they'll go on to uh, over the cap or they'll go on spot track and and they'll just look at the 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 bottom line number and they don't really pay too much attention to kind of the makings and and what goes into into that number. So I thought it'd be just yeah. be good obviously to to look at obviously the book you've written on it and give people a feel for you know people that aren't familiar with your work um kind of an insight into you know the the, the granular detail of of the salary cap and all the things going into it but uh, zach give us give us a bit more information about you and and how you got into the sport and and why you became a data analyst and why you, you did some research on the salary cap so um i have a buddy who was being represented by one really well-known firm and left for a really well-known firm well-known firm because and this was about five years ago um because the second guy knew everything there was about contracts that's essentially what he told me this guy because I, I i was coming into the industry wanting to be an agent still i just got certified last year so I, i'm just starting off that process and uh hopefully going to be with uh going to be announcing something soon on that end um, but we have what he ended up teaching me was, Hey, this is really important. Uh, this is the spot that you should be focused on. And if you become an expert in that, and if you are able to voice 
um, that expertise to a player and you can articulate that to him, he'll really want to work with you. And then the other aspect of it too is that by what you were just talking about, just talking about the numbers, right? What I think that my work does is provide some context behind what those numbers mean within the context of building the team, right? So that we can take the next step of, hey, this guy gets paid this much to tell you what that means that he gets paid this much in the context of what this other guy on this team makes, what that guy makes, what the whole team picture is, what they're trying to do as an organization, what, like all the various, there are a bunch of various factors that go into um, team building. And my first book uh, was self-published. My second book coming out with Triumph Books, uh, you can find it on triumphbooks.com. It's called Caponomics, how NFL champions are built and dynasties are destroyed. I just finished the, uh, the final uh, draft of that. And I'm sending that over to them once we get off the um, once we get off the call. I'm doing my scanning and all that and sending it over. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I just I I hope to provide context. And this second this next book is kind of also a history of the game and then where the game goes from here to just kind of provide the con- the full picture of like why we are in the current reality we find in the NFL and then what are the things the teams are trying to build and then for who will own the future, how are they going to do that through analytics and just through understanding the basic principles. Yeah. I'm just, I'm excited about it. It's um, you know, I feel like I put together something that has like a, a really big money ball aspect to the sport of just like, Hey, here's, here's the sport, here's the objective and here's what we're trying to do. And, and I use the salary cap to do that. Mm. And are you a big, um, obviously it's all, it's all about the NFL and, and, and how the team, are you a big NFL fan? Do you have a team that you support and, and how did you get into NFL? Um, so my, uh, I played football as a kid. I've always been enamored with the sport, um, mainly for uh, a lot, you know, I was always in, in inspired by the team aspect of it, by, um, you know, stories like Friday Night Lights. I, you know, I, I'm a huge, I've always been a huge football fan. Uh, I played in college and then, um, just since then, you know, I've, I've always been an NFL fan, uh, but I never really had like a team. Uh, I like watching the Eagles the last few years. I like watching teams that now my interest has gone, gone on to who is doing things the right way and then watching their season unfold and then following, you know, whoever the most exciting team is and, and trying to learn from that, you know, and uh, who's your team? I saw, I saw you shaking your head. Yeah. So we've got a bit of an NFC East battle going on in the, in the room. So we've got, I'm a Dallas fan and uh, Lawrence is a, is a Washington Redskins fan. So it's, uh, we should have maybe vetted you out a bit more before we, before we let you into the Zoom meeting. Hey, I was a I was a Cowboys fan when I was a kid because my dad was uh, his, his father's from Oklahoma, and then uh, they were when I was young was when Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin. So that's my thing is that I'm such a weird football fan where I I've never been like a this is the one team I like I watch like I was a Giants fan when I was in college and I was going to school up in New England and I wanted them to beat the Patriots. Now I love Bill Belichick. I think Bill Belichick's brilliant. So it's like I'm I'm fickle, man. I'm I'm fickle about my football. I I like anybody. <laughs> Lawrence, what Lawrence would you reckon we should let him off? Let him off on. Just about. I mean, consider. Don't forget that I I have a huge man crush on a player who's not even in my conference. So um, I've got a massive, massive man crush on Lamar Jackson. So yeah, we could we could spend the whole podcast just talking about Lamar. I think. Because he's he's such an interesting character, um, kind of on and off the field. So we'll we'll leave that for another day. But you know, you, we were starting to talk about running backs, weren't we? Um, and kind of it's that that move into that the fact we've now got thousand yard rushing quarterbacks as well. So yeah, comes into the mix. So it gets even more interesting. 
Yeah, of course, uh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson, uh, a couple of years down the line now, will be looking certainly at a, a huge contract if he continues his upward uh, trajectory. Um, but uh, let, let's um, talk about a bit about your first book, Zach. So uh, the first thing that kind of gets talked about in, in the book is about um, the differences between roster bonus and, and the signing bonus. So for those out there that don't necessarily know, just know what they are in terms of uh, you know the, the actual term itself, um, and maybe there's some people out there are a bit salary cap naive, just give us a quick breakdown on, on the difference between what you know why teams uh, decide or opt to give players roster bonuses or signing po- uh, bonuses uh, in different maybe years of, of their contract let's go with Jimmy Garoppolo Jimmy Garoppolo is the perfect example Jimmy Garoppolo had this massive roster bonus in the first year of his contract with the 49ers the 49ers did that because they had a lot of cap carryover they had carried cap which means they carried cap over uh, over the last few years didn't spend it so that they could then prepare for what was last season um, and one of those, you know, years being 2018, and they knew they could just give Garoppolo like a big lump sum in that year to get him to sign this deal that then gave for the 49ers the benefit of, A, if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't work out, we gave him a lot of money. We, we appeased him. We gave him that generational wealth. But because it was a roster bonus, I think the roster bonus was $28 million. Because it was a roster bonus rather than a signing bonus, he had a $7 million signing bonus. Um, the signing, the seven million dollar signing bonus was prorated out over five years, right? So now here we are in year three, and remember the conversations that happened uh, in the spring about Jimmy G was, hey, maybe this, maybe this is someone the team moves on from. Um, but because you know, I, I didn't think that they were going to move on from him, but it was a conversation that could be had because of the way they structured their contract. The roster bonus was a one year lump sum, while the signing bonus is prorated out. So. You might use it for a situation like that where the player wants more money, but you don't want to have the consequence of the signing bonus dead money that comes later. So for the uninitiated, um, signing bonus, so let's call it a $10 million signing bonus over five years, $2 million is prorated in each year, which means $2 million goes against the cap, which then um, is the way of accounting for that signing bonus fairly so that you don't just give someone money and then it, it doesn't matter against the cap. And then, so if say that a player who gets a $10 million signing bonus is cut before his third season, um, then he has $6 million worth of dead money that then gets accounted for against the salary cap, um, which is just an important piece to know. Um, But as we discuss um, with the salary cap going up and up and up, uh, which I'm sure we're going to get to uh, in this conversation is, um, you know, dead money matters a little bit less and less every year because the cap goes up at such a crazy rate. Okay, um, I'll come in here. So the first book looked at analysing the salary cap distribution from 94 to, to up to 2016. Yes. And I know there's a lot of love for the Patriots considering the amount of Super Bowls, the fact that they've just smashed apart anything to do with parity, anything yeah. to do with any commissioner wanting parity in the league. That's just gone to pot because of what the what the Patriots have done essentially over the past 20 years. Um, so what, what do you think some of the reasons are that the Patriots have been so good for so long and how have they managed to kind of have so much of an edge managing their salary cap? So it's like it, a really, really good piece. And, and th- thanks for, to both of y'all for reading the book. Um, a really good piece of it is that player A, player B scenario that is discussed in that 1994 meeting that Jonathan Kraft has with like some Patriots fan group is that 
if we can go after player, there's player A, he costs $10 million, but player B costs 2.5 and he gives you 90% of what player A gives you, considering those two scenarios, right? We're going to go after player B every time because player B is going to cost 25% of the money for 90% of the productivity, right? And Belichick's idea is the way you get good is you get good at everything, right? So we're talking about, uh, and then the way they built out the entire roster has essentially been via, um, you know, they draft well. They, the last three years, essentially, they've led the NFL in low-cost veteran contracts. And that's super important, right? The last CBA cut down practice time, right? And I'm like a really avid martial artist. So I'm, I'm all about reps. I'm all about – and I'm learning more about my own sport through my practice of the martial – of jiu-jitsu. And when you're having less practice time and you're getting a guy in, – in you're Belichick and you can – you're looking at all the data that you're collecting on this player – from what you see and then from pro football focus, from whatever analytics aspect you want to understand. Um, when you look at all that and you find that guy who's being undervalued by the market and he fits what you're going to ask him to do because Belichick knows I'm going to ask him to do this and he does this really well. Like Chris Hogan, he's an example I bring up in 2016. Uh, I played high school ball with him. I always knew he was like a crazy athlete. And, and one thing Belichick understood is he ran great go routes. He was a fantastic deep ball threat because he had speed. He, he was like a four, three, nine guy, but um, you know, he was undervalued by the market and he basically asked him to run deep routes and be like kind of their prototypical number one looking guy, like in terms of uh, the bigger guy, you know, they got their slot receivers, they got their uh, tight ends, but Hogan was that guy. Brandon LaFell was that guy. He goes out and he finds those guys, but then he also finds the Brandon Boldens. He also finds, uh, Matt, he has Matt Slater on the roster. He invests in his special teams, as you guys, you, you, uh, in an email sent to me, it's like, you guys love the special teams aspect, right? And it's like, there are these hidden spots where you want to get good at everything and you want to get good from one to 53. And you do that by allocating resources in a well-spread way, in a way that, you know, a lot of the top of market guys on free agency are that way, their, their price gets out of hand because the top of market guys, um, you know, more people are going after them and, and they're not typically the guys that, if they're any good, there's going to be a spending spree about them. And the goal is to kind of find a lot of veterans who are just, just good players and don't cost you a ton of money. And that's really at the heart of what the Patriots have done. He's invested in places like safety, tight end. Um, he, he invests heavily in linebackers, um, you know, in multiple linebackers. He wants to be multiple on defense he wants to be multiple on offense um all of that so i mean it's just it there's so much that he does well it's just in the general idea of let's make everything on our team good while other teams might and, and, and it becomes less so every year i i think that this last cba these last 10 years all people that are talking about how to build teams is having an impact all the organizations that are doing this work on their own we've kind of taken the next step in terms of the sport where we're getting into those numbers and we're starting to understand, you know, we're just starting to understand that, Hey, like maybe going after the big expensive free agent isn't always the move unless you're in that spot where, Hey, it's Super Bowl time. You know, we need, we need a defensive end. Let's go get him. You know, type of situation. And I think it's, it comes with, with what the Patriots have done in terms of the draft historically is they trade down, don't they? They, that's where they, yeah. they get value. They get more picks, later picks, and, and pick up guys. I look at kind of guys that people won't really be talking about, like um, the punt returner, Gunnar Olazowski, yeah. um, who's kind of sitting there quietly. 
you never know. He could he could have a massive breakout season in 2020. I thought somebody like Braxton Berrios was going to be huge, and and in the end he got he did get kind of moved on, and the the Jets picked him up, and I think he's going to be productive. So yeah, yeah there's, there's there's so much value in these people, and I I absolutely love looking at those people on the on the edge of rosters um, that somehow succeed, and the Patriots just have that ability to find those people, don't they, consistently? The thing is about the draft is, like, you're not going to be 100%. So the idea is have as many picks as possible. And Jimmy Johnson really is, like, a central focus of some parts of my book, both books, um, because the second, the second book is a second edition of that first book, just with three more years of learning, with more information and, and more of, like, a narrative storyline of, like, hey, here's the history of the game and here where we are today through that same context of that conversation. And um, – and Jimmy Johnson made 51 trades in his five years with Jerry Jones. And that was more than the rest of the league combined. And much of it was about moving down on the draft because they were like, ah, we can still get our guy later. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's intelligent. Like it's, it's understanding probability. It's, un, it's, it's all about math and it's all about understanding the probability of finding a guy here versus uh, you know, we need, we need a couple guys. We don't necessarily, I mean, if you're a good organization as well, you can afford, that mindset. When you're doing things the right way, you can take the long-term view on things, which is, I think, is a fascinating aspect of of the way that the good organizations in the NFL are governed. Is that they're good organizations, which begets, which then means they make good decisions that are long-term focused. While a bad organization doesn't do things the right way, maybe they keep hiring coaches and they keep cycling through them. So those coaches are just like, all right, we need to win right now. I don't know if I'm going to be here next year. We need to win right now. So it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's fun to understand because it's, it's just like any business. Um, you know, good businesses do things the right way. Bad businesses don't. Um, and the, we're talking about basically the business practices of good NFL businesses. Yeah, and obviously moving on, obviously part of the the way the reason Patriots were able to also get a bit of value in, in other positions was Tom Brady was also always known for taking a a decent um, a team friendly deal, shall, shall we say? And yeah. I, I think obviously teams are now coming around to the idea that you know the, the trendy thing now is is to have less spend at the quarterback so you know teams will will try and build elsewhere whilst a, a, a rookie quarterback is on the team how, how comes it's taken um the, kind of this long for, for teams to realize that this is now kind of the edge for you know in, in order to help you to, to make a Vince Lombardi run well I mean we've got so of the 26 Super Bowl champions of the cap era now right the guys who have won championships over 10% of the salary cap were basically Hall of Famers. Uh, Steve Young, Brett Favre, Drew Bloodsoe when Tom Brady was the quarterback, and, you know, that's also Bill Belichick. And, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. I mean, you know, Belichick and Brady and defense, and that, that championship was kind of won on special teams. Um, if you look back at what happened on that playoff run, there were blocked kicks returned for touchdowns. There were intercept. There was – there was a lot of factors outside of the offensive performance, right? And then uh, Peyton Manning won two Super Bowls um, over 10% of the cap. Mind you that that last Super Bowl was also a defensive. They hit on every single big investment they had. DeMarcus Ware, uh, Von Miller. So these factors, you know, there's a variety of factors why those were the perfect storm for why they won a champ. And Brady won – I think Brady has uh, – 
one more over 10% of the salary cap because the last championship he won was he was under. But uh, I think so, whatever it is. And Eli Manning's in that group too. But generally speaking, the idea is that um, you see like when Drew Brees won a Super Bowl, when Ben Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl, um, when both well, both the Super Bowls, like the guys that we then eventually are like, these are the guys that are, you know, the best quarterbacks because they're winners and stuff like that. And we had that in our head. What we've kind of started to realize over these last few years is that they, they win when they're cheap. And then when they become expensive, it becomes significantly harder because there goes 10% of the salary cap that you could spend on the rest of your roster. And 10% of the salary cap is a large amount of money when you're considering that some of these guys, Matt Stafford is making 15% of the salary cap, right? And it's not that Matt Stafford's not a good quarterback, but when you're considering that Matt Stafford might not be an elite Hall of Fame type of player, you create a scenario where it, it – but, but here's a point that I make in the second book that I think is important, is that when you are the Detroit Lions and you're a historically irrelevant organization in a lot of ways and you, and you struggle to be relevant and you can pay somebody, you can pay one guy to be in the conversation every year, you're going to pay for that because the alternative is letting him go and then going to the draft and then trying to start over. And so I get the risk-averse nature of – paying that guy a lot of money um but you know it's it's uh you know i understand the both perspectives but we are seeing over these last few years especially with brady's success mahomes wentz and full the wentz full situation um lamar jackson the list goes on i mean the giants people may not like dave gettleman i i don't know if he's trolling us or not when he says that he doesn't believe in computers and analytics i don't know i think it might be a big elaborate troll i think maybe he's a funny you know funny guy but um you know he's doing a fine job in a lot of ways and um daniel jones presents the opportunity and and you know the list goes on and that's what's frustrating if you're a cowboys fan is you just had dak prescott on uh, this inexpensive deal and yeah. now here you are where you're you're just you're frustrated because you don't know when the next time <laughs> yeah we got the Redskins fans uh happy about it but you don't know when don't be too happy you got Dwayne Haskins at quarterback and not for long <laughs> but um but yeah I mean look look at the Dolphins look at I mean the teams that you're excited about the next steps like you're like man they've got a young quarterback and they've got these assets and these opportunities to move forward um, and it's just, it's, you know, you're, if you're a Houston Texans fan, damn, Deshaun Watson's about to be done with his rookie deal. And, and, you know, man, got rid of Brandon Brooks, got rid of Dwayne Brown. And then you had to go out and you had to go get Laramie Tunsil and, and give up significant draft capital in the process. And you're like, and you're kicking yourself. Cause you're like, damn, like we really, we really had, we could have had an offensive line, but we didn't. And we couldn't take advantage of that guy's rookie contract. And it's like, and that's part of the team building conversation too. Is it's not only the fact that you got the rookie contract quarterback; it's the fact that you've put yourself in a position where you're taking advantage of that rookie contract quarterback because he is, you know, he is um, protected. He has assets around him. He has a good defense, and you know, it, it, so it's it, it the, the rookie contract quarterback matters. But what else are you doing around that? And so that's all part of these conversations that we have around the cap. Yeah, so one of one of the themes in the book is where teams have absolutely overspent. Um, yeah, and talk about the effect that it has on the rest of the team, and them having to bank on really kind of identifying value elsewhere. 
where they can they can kind of scrimp and save um, in other places. Um, can you talk a bit more about that kind of the overspending and how they have to kind of correct themselves in order to you know build a, a half decent team overall? I think um, I think the Atlanta Falcons are a really good uh, example of that in 2016, um, and I did a really good job. I feel like on my second book of. Uh, being more, for lack of a better word, like respectful of, of decisions that teams make that may be overspending, right? Like, because just being a better writer, I became more able to communicate like, hey, I would invest in Julio Jones too. I don't know. I mean, I understand like what, for me, I was like, hey, we got, you're going to re-sign him to a $22 million deal. But when I, when I look at that 2016 team, it's like, of course you have 25% of the salary cap invested in Matt Ryan and Julio Jones because you drafted them well. And are you really going to get rid of them? Right. And it's like, but when you create that scenario and when you consider that scenario too, Kyle Shanahan was their offensive coordinator. It was the best season that either player had had you essentially, And that's one of the things I want to hammer home with some of this stuff is that like, you can do it, you can do this and you can almost win, but it's almost like a perfect storm. Like we're talking about probabilities and stuff, right. It's like, when, when, when Shanahan's gone and it's Steve uh, Sarkeesian, right? Sarkeesian, right? Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next season, it's like, it's a different ball game. It's a different coach. It's, uh, it's not, but, you know, the reality of that scenario where they're spending 25% of the cap on those two guys, and as I look at the salary cap, what's won Super Bowls, and no one's won a Super Bowl with their top two cap hits over 22% of the salary cap. So, Another 3% is like the cost of like a good, a good veteran safety who's being undervalued by the market, like a very valuable player, yep. you know, Duran Harmon for an example, right. Or Patrick Chung or, um, or even like Chris Hogan one year. Right. And, and what I like to get into with that on that team building aspect is that when they were out looking at their defense and it's a smart principled way they did it when Quinn was also their head coach. So they said to themselves, Dan Quinn made it soft. Maybe he can make it work here. But whole defense was basically filled with rookie contract players. And they, you know, they didn't really have a lot of veterans on that side of the ball. And part of that comeback that the Patriots had was the Falcons defense was on the field for 99 plays. There's a bunch of young guys, like I said, a bunch of guys who haven't gotten as many reps in, in these situations, right? Like look at how they took advantage of Jared Goff by, giving him an entirely different defense yeah. against uh, in that Super Bowl, right? Because talking about reps, if you're a head coach or you're a quarterback and you're preparing for X and the team gives you Y, and part of that preparation during the week is these are the plays we're going to run because of this. Then you've just thrown them for a loop, and now you have, you know, a whole different scenario. So it's like the, the they ended up going sh- – uh, young on defense and that may be the difference between why they won or why they didn't win but then again why were they there they part of the reason they were there is because of uh, Julio Jones and Matt Ryan and everything you know involved there so it's it's it, it's important to understand that full picture and, and be fair to the decisions they make um, while also acknowledging the consequences of the decisions um, based on you know what, what we're talking about okay um also in the book, you go through every position in the game, which is fantastic. Um, offensive line, defense, and, and a bit of special teams love. Um, I think you, you have some love for the special teams, don't you? Because I, I certainly do. I, I've got a great respect for, for special teams, guys. 
is there a position that you think we're going to see a boom in terms of the percentage of salary cap spend? Um, or have you seen a big difference in a particular position between, you know, your first and your second book? And, and is there a position that you think is kind of really overvalued as well? Um, I mean, I think that, I think that just ha investing in veteran special teamers is, is a, is a good hack. Right. And like that, cause that's part of the lower cost, uh, veterans, right. Like is like, is like the Brandon Bolden, the Matt Slater, various guys like that. Right. And all of these guys, um, you know, add to that getting good at everything and just being, you know, the difference between having the veteran special teamer as a gunner versus like, Belichick invests in Matt Slater because he's an elite gunner. He's a guy who can take on two blocks and make a play. And those are the difference between field positions and between a team having to, um, you know, go another 10 or 15 yards versus not having to, right. Or like getting the big return or not getting the big return. Um, kickers, punters, people are investing more there. Um, and, and I think that there's valid reasoning behind it. There's uh, you know, for one, it, one aspect of the sport that I, I, I won't get too deep into, but like the EPA, the expected points added of two point conversions versus extra points, the two point conversions um, are actually have a higher problem, like have a higher EPA than extra points based on league averages. So like we're now in a scenario where you might want to go for two every time, just because if you're hitting on 48% of them, then you have an EPA of 0 0.96 um you know rather than um an epa of if the league is kicking at 94 percent 0.94 right so you want to have you want to invest in that kicker who's going to hit all his, his extra points and he's going to kick field goals and be successful doing so you know that's one checks always done they, they always win those close games yeah uh, they have a just, just in terms of my kind of retro love, it takes me back and it makes all of this conversation makes me think of a guy like Troy Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And for those, for those who don't know and don't remember Troy Brown that are, that are listening, this was a guy who was a receiver, um, a returner, and then Bill Belichick loved him that much. He put him in as a, as a defensive back as well. And yeah. he had some outstanding interceptions in, in, crucial playoff games you know and yeah. it's it's this is a guy who's you know knee high to a grasshopper but you look at what he managed to achieve in his career he he overachieved by a huge huge margin but he was through the patriot system and he lasted a long time with bill belichick didn't he yeah yeah i mean and um I think there's an understanding in his system of like the value of these short quick receivers uh the value of that uh, and he's also built a system that takes advantage of their abilities. And he understood the, he understands the chess game. He understands that, you know, he understood the Wes Welker move was partially because there wasn't a proper response from the defense at the time to have that extra guy on defense who could cover that short, quick guy. There wasn't an investment. There wasn't, the league hadn't caught on to the trend. You, you know, Wes Welker was used as a unique piece and, Further, um, the, the, he was getting covered by outside linebackers. And then when people started to adjust to that, and he, he was like, hey, why don't I go big with two tight ends? And now you see um, the Ravens, the Eagles, the Titans have utilized extra tight ends. And if you have that, you you're end up in a scenario where um, players 
just simply uh, they, the, the opponent just doesn't have the players to deal with the mismatches you're generating. No, love it. I think another one for the Patriots that springs to mind is Daniel Mandela. He was a good special teams guy, and obviously he was in the, in the slot as well. He always came, he yeah. came up chumps in the in the playoffs as well. But um, obviously, the, the trendy topic topic over the last couple of years has, has been kind of the, uh, the the running back contract conundrum, and you know we, we're constantly seeing now on a yearly basis, you know, you know, running backs wanting X amount of money, and teams uh, you know, ideally only wanting to put aside uh, the amount of uh, let's call it Y. But why why are we? What is, what's your analysis told? about about the running back position and why we kind of in the situation now where you know star running backs are continually holding out to to hold out for for a paid end most of them getting their their fingers burnt and their tail between their legs yeah it's it's frustrating because right like you put the agent hat on and and and, uh or just the the athlete hat on too right like you're you know running back is the hardest position probably in all sports which is why there's such a bad value on a second contract their age curve and their ability, ability to keep uh, a sustainable level of production, um, it's just, it, it, it doesn't work out. I think running backs are a very valuable position in that um, they are, they produce at a high level on the rookie contract and they produce something that's important. I, I've been on teams with good running backs and I've been on teams with bad running backs and having a good running back matters. It matters a lot. So you know, like, look at the playoff teams and look at, you know, the production of some of these running backs. A running back is a real weapon. Like, Christian McCaffrey is a serious weapon. And when you consider that he's $4 million per year on an average annual basis, less than um, Amari Cooper, for example, but produced over 100 catches, over 1,000 yards receiving, and also did everything that he did running the football, all his touchdowns, all that stuff. He's a valuable player. But the issue at running back is that by the time you get to that second contract, and there's a lot of data to support it, is that you look at all these multi-year second contracts, and man, there's like they don't work out. The guys don't end up other than like Adrian Peterson. There hasn't really been like a guy who's like lived up to a contract in quite some time. And even with AP, the contract he had with the Vikings was like over 10% of the cap in like many of those years. So it was it was it was an outpriced contract, but you know. You just go across the board, Le'Veon Bell, um, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, you know, all these scenarios of these guys where whether I, I think a lot of it has to do with the, a pass catching running back is about as valuable as a tight end. So I think, I think there's real value there as a pass catcher, as a bell cow back, if you do everything. I think there's extreme value in all these positions uh, in, in everything that they do. It's just because of, it's because of the economic reality in which running backs invest are, are involved in that creates our perception of them, that they're not valuable, that they're unnecessary. Um, and, and some people say, uh, you know, there's plenty of research that says that there's also, they're heavily reliant on offensive line play. So if you want to spend money, spend money on the offensive line and get, get an improvement in passing and rushing, um, all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very fascinating uh, to just look at it from uh, that perspective of, you know, where do you want to invest your money? And um, for the best return on, you know, that 100 units of cap space. And part of that issue for running backs is just the second contract is just not, it doesn't really work out. Mm. I I, I even think that to an extent there's an issue with wide receivers and cornerbacks, which is why I'm frustrated about the new CBA not allowing renegotiations after the second year of of, of a player's career because so few guys really make it into year six, seven, eight. So especially at certain positions, 
you know, they might sign the big contract, but like we talked about with dead money, dead money doesn't matter as much. And, and player X is going to now be, uh, you know, released and, and not really make that full contract that we hear about in the news. Cool. We're talking about kind of the, that misunderstanding and the, the misconceptions that are out there around, you know, the kind of how we, we value players. Um, you know, especially when, when you want to, sign a free agent what what would you say is something that is really overlooked or something that's always been taken for granted with regards to the salary cap i think that tackling is something that's being uh under undervalued um you know and and i say that from the linebacker position and the safety position consider both of those positions consider our perception of them whether financially or otherwise because CJ Mosley and Bobby Wagner just increased their cap. Like they, they increased the top of that market by a considerable amount in terms of linebackers. But our perception of it is still like, Hey, I'd rather have a DN than a linebacker. When the reality of what I think is, is that I'd rather have a bunch of quality defensive ends that aren't expensive and maybe have the best linebacker in the league and the best safety in the league, right. Or something like that. Right. And, and, DN and pass rusher, and I don't think any of us can deny how valuable Aaron Donald is, um, or even Khalil Mack. Um, to elect, you know, do we put DeForest Buckner and um, Frank Clark in that conversation? I don't know. Um, are they near it? Yeah, but do I also is it, you know Frank Clark played sixty six percent of snaps last year. So are you going to pay twenty million dollars per year? to a guy that's going to play 66% of snaps versus a guy who you can pay $17 million a year for hundred percent for 99% of snaps. Right. So those are important conversations to have. And because you also want to recognize that the pass rush is about having explosive athletes uh, running, uh, cycling through, rotating through against five offensive linemen who are on the field for every play. So having those guys cycling through and it, and it, and it really attacking the passer and being at full full speed and full go with, with fresh legs is valuable. So I, I do think that – the other thing about linebackers and safeties that is underappreciated is that coverage has been found to be more important than pass rush due to a lot of people in, analyst, in the analytics community. And we forget linebackers and safeties also cover people. They aren't only just great tacklers, but they cover the short stuff. They cover the running backs, the tight ends, the slot receivers. They cover the people – who um, have an ability to uh, get open quickly. And, you know, if they can cover those guys well, then that pass rush now has more time to get to the quarterback. So it's, you know, mathematically speaking, that those are kind of the, the things that we're focused on, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm being a bit of a homer and just kind of talking about the, the Redskins. So the Redskins, you kind of, there's an argument that they're on track to kind of do what the 49ers did and have this outstanding defense and a, and an offense that kind of comes with that defense. Um, but as you say, that it's that one thing, tackling. Yeah. So we might have all the star players, you know, your Deron Paynes and, and all of this lot, Montez Sweat, but we can't tackle. And it's, right. a, it's just that fundamental problem. So we, we've been going through inside linebackers since, since London Fletcher. So yeah. that was the, the, the best inside linebacker we had for a long time was London Fletcher and we haven't replaced him or got anywhere near replacing him since. Um, and we can only hope, but what have we done? 
went and drafted Chase Young, edge rusher. Yeah. Um, arguably, could have gone down the draft, got some value, got picked up two or three players um, and not done that. We'll see how it plays out. That's the fascination of, of being a fan and watching the game. But, you know, what, what do you think? Just, just, just indulge me for a second on the kind of the Redskins defensive front. What, what do you think? Where, where do you think they're heading? Well, one thing that I like about you know, one of the aspects of, right, we talk about the rookie contract quarterback. But while I might, you know, while I am saying I want to, you know, I want to focus on my tackling, my ability to tackle the defense, the value of Chase Young at 3% of the salary cap when he could be a 9% of the salary cap, 10% of the salary cap type of producer is extremely valuable. So that's part of like, you know, that's part of these value conversations that we have, right? Is if a guy who's making $8 million a year produces $22 million worth of production, that's a huge value add that then allow, that then increases the ability of that team while also keeping that extra value that he's created you didn't pay for it. So you're able to use that value on something else. So it's like, you know, you know, I, I'm not a Redskins expert right now. Like, you know, who are the guys that they've invested in, right? But, like, they've already made some pretty big mistakes. Like Landon Collins at, 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 that, at that contract is a lot of money for a guy who does what he does in terms of the market, the actual market cost for what you would expect there. But then again, is he a great tackler? Yeah, he's a great tackler. Right. So he's a, he's a good defensive player there. I mean, the whole, like you said, though, you, you don't feel com comfortable with the lock linebackers either, though. So that's part of the issue. Uh, so it's another conversation. But yeah, I, I, I do like the fact that we've got Chase Young for a while at a decent rate. But kind of on the other side of that, how, how tough is it for teams if they are signing free agents to big inflated contracts? You look at the likes of um, Tyrell Williams, the receiver, yeah. comes to mind. Um, I mean, it's not that the you know that now the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be really contending anytime soon, but is there a, is there a reason why some teams just prolifically just can't seem to contend? Are they are they, are they continually overpaying for free agents, or is there are there other things that are broken? As a Washington fan, right. As a, if you're a Raiders fan too, same same conversation, right? Um, both organizations are consistently going after high priced free agents, right? And the the issue with that is that one of the things I write about is that, like the Chase Young, say that you sign Chase Young, I mean, you draft Chase Young, then you sign him. First, you get, and it's it's kind of like a whole a whole way of operating, right? Is that you you get the value of him on the first contract. And then on the second contract, you're paying, you might be overpaying him, but you already got all this value out of him on the first contract. So hopefully you have this uh, cycle where now you're paying him a lot of money, but those draft picks that you have, that you consistently are drafting well. So now you've got draft picks coming up that are doing the same thing he did, right? And that's the cycle you want to create. But a lot of these organizations that don't do things the right way end up in a scenario where, um, they end up in a scenario where uh, the play, like they're just they're paying for production that happened elsewhere, essentially in in a large way, um, and that's part of the issue about the free agency conversation about why you want to get guys, why you want to draft well, why you want to extend them is because if you're paying someone in free agency, in a large part, you're paying him for something that happened somewhere else, you know, and and that's that's part of and the other thing is Tyrell Williams isn't like you know he. 
he's not going to blow the doors off things anyway, you know? And so to pay $12 million a year, right? I think it's 12 million for him, something like that. To pay $12 million a year for a 700 yard receiver is, is, uh, you know, can you get that for cheaper? You know, <laughs> should you get that for cheaper? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> Um, yeah, let's let's move, just move on quickly to um, obviously something a big change that happened whilst you were analysing, you know, between nineteen ninety four and twenty sixteen was the um, the rookie pay scale. What's um, you talked about the need for a rookie rookie wage increase under under the next CBA, which we've obviously now have had. What what have your thoughts been, um, if anything, w- w- have been achieved in the new in the new CBA from from that sense? My issue with the new CBA is that first thing we talked about, the inability to get to the second contract as early as possible. Um, I don't like that because there were examples of, because you, you play football for free for three or four years in college, and then you get drafted into this league that doesn't have, an incredi- that doesn't have a really high success rate after utilizing the rookie contract years. Uh, they, 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 like What I mean is, after utilizing the free minor league, they then say, hey, we can't overpay people because we don't know if they're going to be good or not, which is a valid argument. But you had a free minor league, and now you can't overpay them. But then you also can't pay them until after year three, which I feel like when I look at the – so 15% of the NFL is in year eight or higher. So, like, you know, what I'm saying about – the point about that is, like, you look at a Odell Beckham who had a five-year rookie contract – and then he was under the threat of two tags. So the Giants were able to lock him into a contract at about $18 million per year because that was all the leverage that he had. He couldn't increase the market really past that because of those tags and because of he had one more year in his rookie contract. And, you know, Odell Beckham at the time was, you know, widely considered probably the best receiver in the league. Um, and, you know, he hasn't had the kind of season since. I don't think that he's not still one of the best receivers in the league. But um, the issue is, is that, like, those, those years, especially we're seeing it now, right? How many rookie contract or first rookie receivers had productive seasons last year? I mean, I think that's a next step in the evolution of the game right now is that because of the spreadification of the NFL to a, to a uh, sort of um, – to um, integrate, like, college players into the NFL game, right? Like, they are coming from a spread game, so they're not looking for the whole pro style of offense. They're, they're understanding – they're taking concepts, whether it's quarterbacks like uh, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid making his system work for Mahomes. I think the same thing happens at wide receiver, and guys are having pr- production earlier. It's on. What I'm saying is, it's on the organization to make this player a good player when he, when you get him. It shouldn't be on the player to have all these years of low weight, lower lower wages, um, to to prove himself. And then the other aspect of the rookie wage scale that bothers me as well is that um, the increase in the minimums is not in line with the average growth of the salary cap. Uh, over time so what that means is that the difference between the haves and the have-nots essentially in the league is going to continue to grow and going to continue to get um you know wider Hmm. makes sense i mean like because we might we might be in a position where a quarterback's making 50 or 60 million dollars a year and even in 2030 even with the growth of the 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 minimum wages like you know people will be making a million dollars a year but you know 
a million dollars a year versus 60 million. I mean, it, it's just, it, it feels like, uh, it feels like the grasp we used to see about uh, CEO wages after the financial crash. And it was like, CEOs make 347 times what their average employee makes or something like that, you know? And it's like, it feels like that about one player on a team where everyone contributes to the end result and the quarterback, you know, I, he's extremely important. But when you consider the, the things that players are putting on the line, their bodies, their minds, their, uh, the years of training. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's to get to the NFL is an incredible feat. And, um, to do that, I, I just, I want to see more wealth go to everybody. Yeah, it's quite quite interesting sense. actually. Um, yeah, just just while you were talking about obviously about the wide receiver position, it just it kind of rings a bell ringed in my brain about obviously Philadelphia obviously went out and drafted a hell of a lot of wide receivers that are all kind of speed guys, and then it kind yeah. of got me thinking as to the way that San Francisco draft their wide receivers, and they're they're specifically designed to do a certain job, which obviously again maximizes the production you're going to be getting out of them on that rookie contract. So it's interesting yeah. obviously that the Eagles and the 49ers are considered two of the more smart teams in the NFL that and you mentioned there about the, the wide receiver kind of how it, the dynamic might change going forward so it's interesting to see obviously dot, dot putting those a line between those two dots I'd be interested to see obviously a how many other teams follow suit and b whether or not how successful they are with the the kind of the route that they're going that you that you mentioned there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean uh one thing about uh what the 49ers have done is that Jimmy Garoppolo had the lowest air yards per completion, I believe it was. Um, and his receivers had more yards after catch. So it was 6.6 air yards per completion, 6.7 yards after catch per, per reception. So um, that's what they're looking for. That's what they found. And as you said, speed guys, uh, agility, all sorts of stuff. You know, some of, some of Jimmy G's playoff games were reminiscent of the 72 Dolphins, weren't they? In terms yeah, of his production, yeah. um, you know, it was kind of like like you're going back 40, 50 years in terms well, same of, with Ryan Tannehill. Kind of that, that style. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm uh, one one unfortunate thing for the Titans. Uh, well, not unfortunate. It just it is what it is, right? Um, but you know, having to pay Ryan Tannehill a bunch of money now um, is going to have some impact. Then again, he also made, you know, that team was good with him and Marcus Mariota under contract. So uh, they figured out a way to build that team out. That team was fairly well built out. Mike Vrabel seems like a great head coach. Seems like they're doing good things there. Um, but then they also benefited from a rookie contract running back. And as we said, I mean, a running back who's productive in that manner is valuable. And I think that uh, while, while passing the football is more valuable, being a great passing team is more valuable. Um, you know, like there's still value in what he does and you can still build an organization around that concept because Tannehill is the perfect example. I mean, he didn't have a hundred passing yards to beat the Patriots. Yeah. And then, and you look, as you were saying earlier, you also look at that great value in terms of the, the receiver production. Yeah. Um, AJ Brown, um, rookie, rookie receiver of the year, um, without a doubt really. And he's, he's, you know, in a perfect position to keep that momentum yeah. going with those thousand yard seasons and I think he's a really exciting guy to look you know one of those top 10 guys to look forward to tuning into a game for in 2020 and, and I think to that point uh there you go with AJ Brown that's a guy who's uh what round was he was he a second rounder I think so so he's gonna cost nothing 
And that's part of – he's going to cost nothing, and he's going to give you uh, 1,100, 1,200 yards maybe, uh, be an incredible threat. And, uh, you know, that makes up for Ryan Tannehill spending or, um, or Derrick Henry's franchise tag or, you know, whatever, right? Yeah, and I, I, my, my other guy from the second round, um, DK Metcalf. Yes. I mean, the, guy, the yeah. guy's built like a mutant. Um, but, you know, again – Great value, great yeah. value, for sure. For um, sure. When it comes down to it, basically, so you had the the Titans that you know almost got to a Super Bowl. Um, so, how strong is that correlation between being smart with the cap and ultimately what we're all here to do is win games? So, what what teams kind of projected the sort of the greatest potential? I mean, if you were to if, if you were to kind of have a plan, you're looking at your, your cap at the start of a season, you don't know what's going to happen, kind of wh- where were these kind of, where were those signs there for those teams that you just thought, right, I, I can see this. Other people can't see this. I can see this team. They're going to succeed no matter what because of how they've been structured and put together. Uh, well, the Ravens are obviously top of the list. I think everyone sees that Cardinals are uh, on, on the come up hundred percent Cardinals are on the come up. Um, Murray costs nothing. Seems like he's going to be a productive player. I mean, across the board, if an organization has a competent rookie contract quarterback, we're looking at a team that has a shot that has a serious shot. Um, but the, uh, I think maybe the next step in understanding this is who are the teams that have drafted really good wide receivers and defensive ends and safeties and who are, who's getting a ton of value out of their rookie contract players. And that's probably the next point to target who also, who are the organizations, you know, I've been big on the Browns for the last two years. I don't, I just don't think they had the right coach last year um, because you got Baker Mayfield, you have Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, and when he's uh, not swinging helmets yeah yeah when he's not swinging a helmet Nick Chubb um you know and and it's like you've got all these uh they're going to be uh heavy contributors for a low cost and I think that that means a lot and um you know that's part of part of why I'm big on them um you know other organizations Minnesota's always in the mix Minnesota is one of those teams that's always in the mix, no matter, you know, what you think about Kirk Cousins and the spending. And, but part of that issue, right, like you look at they spend a lot of money on Kirk Cousins, but before they got rid of him, Stephon Diggs was on a good contract. Uh, Adam Thielen was on a good contract. Daniil Hunter is on a good contract because they go to these guys and they sign them to extensions early. They sign them before they become what they're going to become. Daniil Hunter was signed like two years ago and flourished into one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, but it wasn't something that you and I couldn't have predicted. So they go out, they sign the guys earlier. Um, they offer them something that uh, gives, you know, they, when they have the leverage too, you know, Daniel Hunter's a third or fourth mid round pick, whatever you go to a guy like that, you say, Hey, you're slated to make X amount of dollars this year. What if we gave you $20 million this year? And it might not be a top of the market deal, but hey, we'll we'll come back and we'll talk in a couple years and maybe bump you up a little bit and and just stay proactive, stay ahead of the curve and and sign your guys when you have all the leverage and keep them happy too. I mean, like, because honestly, if I'm playing football, 
and I'm a third round pick and I'm not slated to make a lot of money and you give me a bunch of money and then we do that for a couple more years uh, and then you do it again for me, I'm not going to be a malcontent. I'm not going to be upset about that. I'm not going to be frustrated because you took care of me before you had to take care of me, which had a benefit to you. Had a, it's, just, it's just good faith negotiating. You know, it's just acting in good faith as a business, doing the right thing and, um, you know, paying the people you're supposed to pay. I mean, just, just being good intention goes a long way. And, um, you know, some of these organizations do that well. Um, you know, 49ers are in the mix for one of those top teams that, you know, we'd be discussing. Um, the Seahawks are always in the mix. But, yeah, I mean, just as an underlying factor, look at who is – whose top players are making less than that top of the market and they're producing like top of the market guys. Who's got those rookie contract players that are producing like elite players, but don't cost too much, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And name, when you understand that, you can really break into it. Another name that swings to mind for me off the, off the top of the bat is Austin Eckler as well. Obviously the charge has given him a, given him a, a decent contract for him because he's obviously undrafted. So um, kind of, I, I yeah. can't remember, I can't remember when his contract ran out, but I know that they were keen to, to extend him. Obviously they said bye-bye to, to Melvin Gordon, but obviously they, they, rewarded Austin Eckler probably earlier than they could have done and again it's all about that faith and obviously they, he's produced on the on the field as well last season so um yeah that's been fun um okay obviously yeah. Zach we, we've taken up quite a lot of your time and obviously appreciate you too that but obviously we'd be remiss if we didn't get you you're obviously a bit more on your on your second book but so without without giving kind of too much I know we've, we've drawn out a few points that come up in the new in the new book um give us give us one thing to this to this book uh, that's coming out in October that's not in in book one one big point. I just wrote these down the other days. Um, I think that we kind we kind of covered most of it. Um, you know, rookie contracts are too long. Running backs are important. They're just used, abused, and discarded. Defensive end or pass rusher is the largest expense on a defense. Should it be? Um, cornerback is a very valuable position, but are they great second contract players? Uh, would you rather invest some of that money? They're all cornerbacks, such a hard position to predict out of college. Um, you know, there's, there's just a why. basically the whole overview of the book is like, here's the history of the game. Here's why we are where we are today. Here's how the innovators of the game have shaped the game into what it is today and how many of them, ton of them, um, understood the foundational principles of the sport. Uh, before there were analytics to tell them that this was what you're supposed to do. Bill Walsh understood play action passing was something that put teams in a position where they could not respond right. Same with run pass options, which we see now. Um, just creating scenarios where opponents can't be right. Um, and just they understood efficiency. They understood how to build a roster. And now we have analytics to confirm their beliefs and then to take us further into the future. And, um, you know, that, that's basically kind of the overview of the book. It's just, just understanding where the game was, where the game is now, and where it's going, and understanding the objective. I hope there's a little bit of love for Joe Gibbs somewhere. There the is. Only, the only head coach to take three different starting quarterbacks to yes. Super Bowls. Yes, yes. There, there is love for Joe Gibbs there. And um, there's love for the whole NFC East because one of the – pieces that I talk about in the book is that for 14 years almost every championship was won by the NFC East so the and that kind of brings me into the Eagles and the conversation about the Eagles and the Patriots and both both of their owners bought the team in 1994 and they saw an opportunity with the salary cap and that is how they came out of that's how they became good organizations is understanding what Bill Walsh was doing understand just 
understanding the game and understanding the cap and understanding the game into the future and, and, and taking advantage of that. And cause the Eagles were in a division that was impossible to deal with impossible Cowboys, Giants, Redskins were all great for 14 years um, there basically. And um, you know, to see them, the, the Eagles take the next step is, is uh, you know, was a story to tell and Joe Gibbs was a story to tell and all these guys. So it's, I'm excited about it. I, uh, you know, it feels good to feel like you've contributed to the conversation uh, around the game. And uh, I think that this one is uh, really the best I could have done. And I'm excited to release it with everyone. And again, it's called uh, Caponomics, how NFL champions are built and dynasties are destroyed. And it's going to come out with triumph books this October. And uh, if y'all like what we talked about today, if y'all like football, history of football and analytics, all that stuff, it's all covered in there. And and I'm sure y'all enjoy it. Mm, I, I must admit, I've I've not nodded. My my neck's going to be sore in the morning because I've not nodded so much on a podcast for for absolutely ages. So yeah, thanks thanks for that. I suppose Zach. Um, yeah, obviously, um, give it give give the guys um, where they can find your work on Twitter and obviously your musings on there as well. Um, my Twitter, my Instagram, Zach Moore NFL, Zach with a K. Um, if you're into jujitsu, I'm over there on Instagram with jujitsu, and if you're if you're in England and you're over there, I got places where you can train. I'm always trying to spread the love of jujitsu um, just as much as I'm spreading the love of football. So, and I'm going to have a website soon, ZachMoreNFL.com. And that's where you'll be able to find more podcasts and things of that nature. Because I think one of the lessons uh, that comes out of uh, the last few months is that uh, having more conversations with individuals face-to-face um, and long form is the best way to, um, you know, just have the difficult conversations that we have to have across the world and, um, you know, just make this place a better place. Mm. And uh, just, uh, just before we do let you go, just a random question for me. Obviously, you, you are part of uh, kind of the over the cap and obviously the, the arch rivals, as, they, as, as you say, yeah. are kind of spot track. Is there any, like, any arch enemy kind of mentality between you two guys? Or is that, you know, do you try and outdo each other? Or was it just all, you know, kind of all in the same business? And... They just steal the data and don't sign <laughs> it. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really have too much arch enemies because I uh, – when you when you uh, do martial arts as much as I do, you don't really mind people like that that are stealing. You're just like, oh, all right, you're gonna steal. You don't want to be civil. If I didn't want to be civil, if I didn't want to be civil, things things would get out of hand. But <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, he just steals the data, and it's not right. And Jason Fitzgerald puts a lot of really hard work into it, and J- all all praise goes to Jason. Uh, he doesn't know this yet. If he doesn't watch this, he won't know it until the book is in his hands. But uh, he's one of the people the book is dedicated to. He gave me an opportunity with his website, gave me a platform. Um, and, um, you know, just very thankful for him and just thankful for uh, what he represents, who he is, what, what he stands for, and um, just the hard work he puts in. And uh, he's always been great to me. So Jason uh, from Over the Cap is, is, a, is, a, is a real uh, – one of my favorite words is he's a real mensch. So he's a really good dude. Um, and quality man. So uh, thanks to Jason. Thanks to Over the Cap. Thanks for having me be a part of it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, there's no enemies. It's all love. <laughs> thank, thank you, Zach. And um, I'll tell you one thing that I'm looking forward to, and that will be a Ravens-Cardinals Super Bowl. A Ravens-Cardinals Super Bowl would be unique. It would be nice. It would be, uh, I mean, I'm a big Kyler Murray guy. I watched him at the Big 12 Championship in person down here in Dallas. I'm in Austin, but he's in Dallas. Uh, The game was in Dallas at at Cowboy Stadium. And uh, the way that his feet moved 
um, when he's running the football is uh, was just because you got the big screen too, right? You're watching it on the field, and then they show it on the big screen, and and man, like just it was it was beautiful. And uh, you know, I could talk about his feet for a long time, not to get weird with y'all, not to get. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think in, in terms of quarterback, it's all right to have a foot fetish with, with socks and shoes on. With socks and shoes on, bro. <laughs> um, right. Well, I'm I'm going to go and find out what mensch means because I've not heard that term before. But obviously, um, obviously, Zach, when you when your book comes out in October, we will uh, we'll do the the honors of giving one of those away as well. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed the first one. Looking forward to the second one. I appreciate. It. Thanks for the love. Thanks for having me on. But the front cover looks like a, a, a birthday cake as well. That's been sliced up, and that's what my next birthday cake is going to look like. So um, yeah, good, great inspiration uh, for that. So. <laughs> But yeah, obviously appreciate you coming on, Zach. And I say, I hope the listeners out there have, have learned something to say. I've not been nodding along for the last hour. So hopefully the guys out there, especially in this country, kind of have learned a bit more about the salary cap and, and why a bit more uh, kind of context as to why the Patriots have been so successful and, you know, some some traps and some manholes that some teams do fall down. And um, yeah, just a general learning lesson. I, you know, everyone's been homeschooling and I feel like I've been homeschooled today. So Zach, I, I very much appreciate you homeschooling me. Not that I go to school or university anymore but yeah every day is a, every day is a learning day well thank you for having me i appreciate it and uh i hope everyone over there as well and uh, uh i hope you uh y'all take a chance to uh, enjoy my book mm, absolutely certainly will do can't wait for can't wait for october a, a, enough but um yeah appreciate zach coming on there that's going to do it for today's podcast hope you've all learned something i know i've so i've learned i I've, i need more than my fingers and toes to, to count the amount of things that i've learned and say so look out in october we'll give a couple of books uh, of, of zach's away uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that that's going to do it for today's podcast hope you enjoy it we'll be back very soon indeed so in the great words of kevin Cadel, it's a bye-bye for now a bye-bye Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show full10yards at gmail.com.